Coming up, why work-life balance is a total myth, and then employees are now engaging in a practice called coffee badging? I'll break it down next. Let's go. Welcome to the Ken Coleman Show, where I help you win in your work life so that you can win in other areas of your life. Let's talk about life, and let's talk about life balance. Ah, is it possible? You hear so much about life balance. Oh, I need life balance. I need work-life balance. I hear this all the time. And every time I hear it, I chuckle to myself. By the way, if you haven't chuckled lately, find a reason to chuckle. First of all, it's a great word. We don't say it enough. And secondly, a lot of bad stuff going on in the world. And every once in a while, we just need a moment to chuckle. There's some bonus content for you today. So I chuckle when I hear this. Oh, I need life balance. I need work-life balance. So let me save you some frustration. Balance is not attainable. I'm going to let that sit for a second because some of you, and certainly some of you, snowflakes out there are freaking out right now because you think everything should be balanced. But I got news for you. Balance is not attainable. It is not possible. Well, let's just look at the very idea of balance. All right. Let's try to take some of you back to maybe elementary school where you first saw the image or maybe you actually saw some scales. Maybe your elementary school teacher brought some old school scales in, uh, or maybe you've seen some imagery, uh, uh, in legal uh, art or, or uh, logos, things like that, where you see the scales and where you've got basically the heavier, if we if we start with empty scales right now, and they're equal at this point. And then I put any object that weighs anything on one of this side, let's say this side right here, that immediately it's going to go down. The more I put on this side, the more it goes down, and this side has nothing on it goes up or has lesser weight. So... The very idea of balance is that everything is on the same plane and equal. So let's just look at our life. I want you to think about this for a second, okay? You spend the majority of your life, active life, at work. And then the next biggest chunk is sleep. According to sleep studies, Americans aren't sleeping very well. So let's say you spend eight, nine hours at work, whether you're working or not, you're at work. And then maybe you're sleeping seven, eight hours. So let's just look at these two big blocks of life. So there is no balance just by the very nature of the time we spend. So if you try to create an even balance between your work life and your personal life, you're going to feel like a constant failure. And that will leave you frustrated. Then frustration turns into disappointment. And disappointment can turn into disillusionment and, dare I say, depression. So the solution, let's talk about the fact that we can't be balanced. So how do we focus on this idea, this need that makes us say we want balance? We need to start focusing on priorities. Balance is impossible. Priorities is extremely possible. So forget balance. Let's focus on priorities. So once you commit to specific priorities, you can now start to build a rhythm between work and personal life. So The idea of work-life balance is nonsense. But if I can figure out my priorities, in other words, I say yes to these things, it allows me to say no to everything else, I can now create a rhythm. 
I mean, think about a rhythm. I'm not very musical, but we live in the music city. And uh, I've got some friends that are great drummers. And, and, and they are creating, if you will, the rhythm. They are keeping the rhythm of the song. And so whatever a healthy life needs to look like for you, priorities allow you now to keep the rhythm. So think of rhythm, rhythm, rhythm. Rhythms allow for boundaries. Boundaries based on those priorities. Rhythms acknowledge also seasons of life. Seasons of life. So I want to park here for a second. Seasons. I was in a one of those little arts and crafts stores up in the mountains of North Carolina several years ago with my wife. She loves all that stuff, you know, and honestly, I was trying to be a good husband. I had a bad attitude about it. It's all a bunch of trinkets and stuff that women like, and, you know, I get it. But, you know, I'm the dutiful husband, and I'm just kind of walking through it. And honestly, you know, it's one of those things, guys, let's be honest, we walk into a store like that, and and we already know there's nothing in there that interests us all at, at all. And not only is there nothing in there that interests us, if I do have to pay for it, I don't want to see it around the house anyway. It's just a really negative situation. So here I am, bad attitude. And I'm just walking around with my wife and, you know, trying to just get through this purgatory. And I see a little sign. Oh, about, you know, yay big or so. And and so I look at it and it caught my attention. It was in all that kind of country little cursive, you know, stuff that women love, you know. And guys, we have a hard time reading it. You know, it's like I, I look, I lean at, I look at it, and I see. It says, "You can have everything you want, just not all at the same time." And I thought I went from having a bad attitude to, "Oh, that's good." And I, I'm sitting there, and I'm looking for my wife. She's nowhere near me, and I'm, I'm wanting to share it with somebody. So I take a picture of my phone, and then I begin to think about that statement, and it's brilliant. And it's truth. I do believe that as humans, we can we can have most of everything that we want. We can go for it and we can have it, even if it's for just a moment. But I don't think it's very possible to have it all at the same time. Seasons. Seasons. For those of you, let's look at a work context. Some of you right now are in a season of paying your dues and it sucks because your eye is way out here that's where i want to be there but there's a massive amount of distance between where i am and where i want to be and the only thing that bridges that gap if you will is hard work sacrifice failure frustration loss all some negative things in order to have the victories, to have the breakthroughs. And so I want to encourage you that it is possible to have everything you want in life, just not all at the same time. And so I want you to grab this idea of balance and throw it away. And that instead, I want you to go, what are my priorities? What do I have to do so that I can do what I want to do? What do I have to do now so that I can do what I want to do in the next? Ask it again and again and again. Parents, teach just your kids, even in the simplest things. What do I have to do now so that I can do what I want to do next? Could be a video game, so you got to do your homework. <laughs> Could be hanging out with your friends, so you got to clean your room, right? What? Listen, you want to be debt-free? What do you have to do now? Rice and beans, beans and rice.
This is the idea. You cannot achieve balance. It will lead to frustration. What you can do is set priorities. And when you set those priorities, now you can begin to create a rhythm for your life. And when you create a rhythm that is healthy, I can promise you this. You'll never think about balance again. You'll only think about victories. This is The Ken Coleman Show. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Don't we all need help being better? And they're great at it. You know, we all carry around a lot of stress from our family life and our professional life, and it can just hit us at the same time. Big stuff, small stuff. And we can talk to our friends. Or maybe you have a great relationship with a leader at work or a coworker, but you may not feel comfortable telling them everything. I know I wouldn't. And when we keep things bottled up, it will eventually leak out. And it's really negative. But therapy, it's a safe space to get everything off your chest with an unbiased professional and figure out how to work through the stuff that's weighing you down. So if you've thought of therapy before, you're thinking about it now, please try BetterHelp. Therapy isn't just for people who've gone through trauma. It's great to build skills, to become better personally and professionally. And BetterHelp is flexible enough to fit your busy schedule because it's completely online. All you do is fill out a short questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no extra cost. It's time to get stuff off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ken today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ken. Hey, if you're enjoying the program, number one, let me say thank you. And then let me ask you, would you help us grow? And you can do that. If you're watching on YouTube, like the video, that thumbs up, subscribe to the channel and share. Then if you're listening via podcast, give us a follow, a five-star review, and share as well. All right. So the world of work continuing to shift. And we hear all kinds of, see and hear all kinds of headlines now about the fact that remote work, 100% remote work is now back to pre-pandemic levels. A lot of stories about big-time public companies, Google, Facebook, you name them. you got to come back into the office. And so now we're in a place where I think we're going to stay for for the, the, the long-term future, and that is what is called a hybrid model. And you can wear, work remote some, and you are going to be required to be in the office some, and that's going to be a fluid uh, company to company. And so what's what's interesting is, is anytime we as human beings settle into a norm, right? So we've got a new uh, practice of doing things this is the way we do it. Uh, we humans have a way of adapting to it and shortcutting it. And so I see this headline right here from CNBC. Uh, bosses want people back in the office, but employees are finding a workaround and it's called coffee badging. Have you heard this? There's always a new phrase. I can't hardly keep up with it, and I pay attention to this stuff. So this story focuses on a young lady by the name of Yannick Ivy. She's 27. She works for a tech firm in Atlanta, and this is what she does. She drives in the office once or twice a month, once or twice a month, and when she's there, she commits to an 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. schedule, just in time for a catered lunch to catch up with colleagues for a few hours and then beat the Atlanta traffic, which she calls hellish. And by the way, I lived in Atlanta for 11 years 
And uh, I don't know if you are a person of faith or what your your uh, relationship with religion is, but I'm almost certain that if you are going to go to hell, you must go through Atlanta. I'm positive that's the case. Could be 285, could be 400, 85, 75. I'm just telling you, uh, if you find yourself stuck on that, you better check and just see where we're at in the world. You might be on your way. Uh, okay, so this is now a trend. U.S. workers are showing up for required attendance, but they're not sticking around the full day. More than half, 58% of hybrid workers, admit to coffee badging. Now, this is the act of going into the office. You So essentially, you fob in or you key uh, keypad, whatever. You get in. You get yourself a cup of coffee. Maybe you say hi to a couple people. And then you go home. <laughs> Now, this is absurd. But but now, the, how can this happen, right? So the team brings this stuff to me in our production meeting. And there's like eight of us sitting around in a conference room, and they throw this story up on the on the thing. And I look at this, and I, I immediately start to go, how, how is this possible that people can get away with this? Only uh, certain office guidelines only dictate a number of days that the boss wants you in. But they don't dictate how many hours. So this feels like a giant hole. But then here's the other thing. How is it that people can go to the office, fob in, scan in, get a cup of coffee and go home? I'll tell you how. Because the leader's not there or the leader's not aware. It's just that simple. And this is mind-numbing to me. Why would companies and the leaders of these companies be so stupid to require somebody to come in the office let them scan and leave like where's their leader the leader's probably doing the same thing the leader's not there or the leader's not aware the leader's in their office and they're not walking around leading people connecting to people seeing people now i am not a fan of monitoring i've called this nanny ship right where a lot of companies are doing this and so what they're doing is so it's, 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 it's extremes. And by the way, both extremes are mind-numbingly stupid. Okay, let's break them down. One extreme is what we're talking about. Hey, uh, we need you to be in the office two days a week. So people come in, beep, get a cup of coffee. What's going on, Fred? Yeah, you want to play pickleball tomorrow night? Great. And then they go home. And that's okay. Well, wait a second. Are you supposed to be in the office or not? Leader's not there. Leader's not aware. That's one extreme. The other extreme is companies like Meta, the the parent company of Facebook, Google, Amazon, J.P. Morgan Chase, just to name a few that have been very public about this policy. Listen to this. Uh, They are monitoring people. How long they stay in the office? By looking, do they badge in to another floor? Uh, We've seen stories where they are monitoring keystrokes on on your computer. Uh, turning cameras on in your computer and spying on people while they sit at their desk. I mean, this is all happening. This is not me making this stuff up. And so what does that do? It kills trust. None of it, by the way, is necessary. None of it. Let's just, those are the two extremes. Now let me break this down. And we honestly, I wish every corporate leader in America would just watch the next three minutes. Or six minutes. Is it six minutes? 
six minutes. Because I want to break this down. The leaders that are coming up with these policies are acting out of fear. Fear creates a need to control. So for some of you go, man, I've got this micromanaging leader. They're micromanager, micromanager. Can I just tell you what's going on? They're fearful. Is it your fault? Doesn't matter. If you want to have a shot at staying in a place where you've got a controlling leader, the only shot, listen to me, folks. This is just a little extra content. I'm going to break this down for leaders. But for you that are following a controlling leader, the only shot you've got at staying in a place like that is getting to a place where you can build enough connection and conversation with your leader to figure out what they're afraid of. Now, you can't go in and go, hey, I was listening to this guy, Ken Coleman, the other day, and he says, you're afraid. What are you afraid of? (laughs) That's not a good idea. All right. So uh, we don't want to do that. But. We want to be able to ask questions and connect. And if you can figure out what that leader is afraid of, it's going to do two things for you. First, and this is overlooked, it will humanize them. See, what's going on in the workplace right now? By the way, I'm going to tell you all something. What I'm delivering right now, this is deep. I hope people, I hope you all listen and watch and don't miss what I'm telling you. Because nobody's telling you this anywhere else. I'm just telling you, I'm not patting myself on the back. I just want you to understand, this is some depth. Because there's so much tension in the American workplace right now. Us versus them. Worker versus leader. And it's real. So let me just tell you something. If you've got a controlling leader and you can dig and connect and have conversations and asking smart questions kind of around the edges, you can dig in. Come on, folks. You know what I'm talking about. You can do this. If you can figure out what they're afraid of, first and foremost, it humanizes them, which takes away this combative stature and posture that exists between maybe the two of you. So that's huge. So you begin to go, oh. Now, by the way, you're not telling them this, but you've got to walk away and go, oh, they're insecure about this. Uh, They're afraid of this because of, oh, okay. Now, as the worker with a controlling leader, this is your opportunity to lead up and influence your leader. Because now you've ascertained or you've, figured out, for those of you who are under the age of 50, don't know what that word ascertain means. Now you got this. You go, oh, okay, I see the source. I understand. I don't agree with how they're acting, but I understand how they're acting. By the way, this is the key to parenting teens. <laughs> yeah, You'll never understand why a teen does what they do. It's impossible. They're nuts. It's a season of life where they're literally insane. However, as a dad, if I can understand why my teen is acting this way, Okay, all right, now I can parent. Same thing, empathy, understanding, and leads to compassion for your leader. And so what can you do? This is the million-dollar question. What can you do to alleviate their fears? And then if you can alleviate their fears, watch what happens. And by the way, I'm coming at this because I think some of you will get this. I'm coming at this as a parent. I am my most controlling when I am most fearful with my kids. When I'm on them like, a a heavy blanket and they're like dad chill out sometimes they're right and if i'm being honest i am at my most controlling as a parent and husband somebody's gonna have to send this to stacy she's gonna really love this uh when i am fearful right 
Now, leaders, let me pivot. Leaders, stop trying to monitor people and start mentoring people. If you just mentor people as their leader, yes, they're required to be in. Great. But they shouldn't have to scan. You should know that they're in because you're there with them. I know. You don't have to check up on them if you're checking in with them. Big difference. All of this monitoring by these massive companies is unnecessary if the leader, the manager of the team is in the building, on the floor, walking around the halls, meeting with people on a daily basis, at least a weekly basis, saying, how can I help you win? But what do we do? I'm I'm fearful. I'm fearful these people aren't working at home. I'm fearful these people aren't working if I, if I don't see their keystrokes. Really? Why are you so f- afraid of that? What what are you doing as a leader to foster your own fear? I'll tell you right now, if I'm communicating with my kids, if I'm in my kids' life, I don't have to monitor them. I have results that I expect. If you live in this house, this is what you do. And I'll explain it once, maybe twice. Why? After that, it's not about the why. It's the get it done. And if you're not getting it done, then we have a conversation. That's leadership. We're so worried about how many hours people are working, where they're working, instead of going, how about we focus on the why? And if we can connect the why, good people are going to do the work, and we just get out of the way. So there you go. Enough of the nanny ship leaders. People don't want to be monitored. They want to be mentored. They want to be trusted. And you have to start. This is the Ken Coleman Show. folks welcome back to the ken coleman show let's do a little coaching session shall we dana is on the line in orlando florida dana you're on the ken coleman show hey ken hi dana i'm doing well what's up i am calling because i am trying to figure out how to have a healthy workout work life balance so um back in 2021 i was a teacher and decided to leave teaching because on top of teaching, it was the overwhelm of all the responsibilities of being an adult. And I felt like I didn't have time for myself and I had all of my focus on work or, and it was hard to balance it all. So what, I am trying what was to going out. on? Tell me, take me back to to that year and leading up to that what what were the requirements what was the job as a teacher requiring from you that that allowed you no time or energy to take care of stuff in your personal life well I put a lot of pressure on myself to be positive and 
during that year, it was a lot of negativity because of what was going on in the world. So, like, I wanted to show up for my class as the best version of myself, but my personal life ended up being a lot more chaos than I would have liked. Okay, so let me make sure I understand this. Because I've talked to a lot of teachers who got burned out because of the environment of the public school classroom and the situation. There's a whole lot of factors there. I'm sure you're very aware of them. But what I'm trying to figure out is, was there a lot of stuff going on in your personal life that was affecting you in the classroom? Or was it the classroom and the environment of work um, creating challenges in your personal life that's what i'm trying to figure out the source here because that's really important to this yeah um it just was like a series of unfortunate events like you could break it down i went through like a breakup and then my roommate bailed on me during covid and a lot of my friends like and i did not share. Okay, so um, it was personal. It was more yeah, personal, not personal it was not the professional environment that 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 threw you off balance in your mind. Yeah, I would say it probably was more impacted by the personal, but then there were a lot of things within the teaching um, that caused turmoil too yeah okay give me an example that's what i want because we're we're trying to give you a professional solution and so here's what i'm attempting to get i need you to tell me the really negative parts of being a teacher that drove you to leave in the industry because you've left that role correct i did yeah okay so what what drove you out forget the personal stuff what drove you out from a professional standpoint where we went i can't do this anymore That's a good question. I would say a big part of it was feeling lost, like not always knowing what was expected of me. Okay, so we had a changing agenda. There was a lot moving around. Am I supposed to be a caregiver? Am I supposed to be a counselor? Am I supposed to be a teacher? That's what I've heard from a lot of teachers. Does that sound right? Yeah, that does. Okay. So so you love teaching, you love instructing, you love guiding, you love pouring into people. True or false? True. Okay. And, and so had we had, or again, we know there was a lot of personal conflict going on. I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that briefly in a moment. But in the professional workplace, you felt lost. It wasn't clarity. You're being pulled different directions. That can obviously create a lot of confusion, and confusion is debilitating. So what is the part of teaching, instructing, guiding that you love the most? Because we want to look for those elements right now as we look for new ideas and new opportunities. So what did you love most about teaching? Was there anything that you really loved? I loved watching my kids grow and seeing the progress 
Okay, great. What what else? What else did you love? That's an end result. What do you love most uh, when it comes to creating the opportunity or the environment for someone to grow? Oh, I think it's fun. I really enjoy uh, tapping into my imagination and using play-based learning to help kids grow. Okay, got it. So we've got imagination. So there's a lot of ideating and creating to find ways to then communicate, instruct people to learn. And then there is that, let's call it cheerleading, the encouragement piece for someone to do the work necessary to apply the learning into doing. Does that sound about right? I'm trying to summarize your your head and heart here. Yeah, you're good at it. Okay, great. So, so you call me today because you want to figure out the next step. Yes. You're trying to figure out what are some other ideas that get me out of teaching or keep me out of teaching, but allow me to do something that I love. Um, but, but have a better rhythm at work. Is that what I'm hearing? Partially. I also, I can't tell if it's the shame of like, you know, giving up that's preventing me from like launching. I just, I feel like every time I've had an opportunity, I have like something in my mind that is stopping me from really blossoming or like finding my confidence with it. So you think that you have got some guilt that's hanging on you because you walked away from these kids in the classroom? Yeah, I think a little bit. Okay. Well, here, here's here's what's going on. I, I think this is less professional and this is more personal. I think this is... I think this is mindset stuff. I think this is about the narrative you're telling yourself. I don't know what was going on in your personal life, but I can tell you that I hope you've walked away w- with some lessons that you can say, I'm not going to put myself back in these situations again. Okay. Sometimes life throws curveballs at us, storms come up, and you know there's nothing we can do about it other than hunker down and get through it, which I think I think you have. However, really important that you make good decisions in your personal life so that things aren't so on fire to where you're dragging that to work. Because I think you need to get back into a job where you are instructing, could be in an HR role, could be corporate training. You said you've had opportunities to come up, but you won't give yourself the opportunity. I don't know. I don't know why that is. Because you haven't done anything dastardly wrong. You have not blown your life up. And so confidence comes from clarity. And I think you have to, and I teach this, uh, you have to retreat back to clarity in these moments. Clarity that I am good at this. Clarity that I enjoy doing this. And clarity that I have some missional results that I want to put into the world. And I think you're clear on those things. Is that fair? Yeah. All right, then. So now it's about reminding yourself of that. And then here's what happens. When I get clear or I retreat back to clarity, my confidence goes up. And I think you're suffering from self-confidence. I think you're dealing with a lot of doubt. You don't believe that something good can happen to you. I dare say personally and professionally. Is that fair? You're not wrong. What's that? I don't think you're wrong. Okay. So here's the deal. I think you need to get a win professionally that will boost you personally. That's what I think. I, I think 
I think uh, I'm a big believer in counseling, therapy, and I think whatever you need to take care of there, we didn't get into that. But I will tell you this, I believe you take someone who's been down, someone who feels like they're they're stuck in life, if we can get you some professional wins, that's a big part of your day where you're walking around with your shoulders back, head high, I'm making a difference. And so I think you know the kind of work you should be doing, and I think you need to get after it. I think you need to stop thinking, and I think you need to stop feeling for a while. I think you've felt enough. I think you've thought too much. I think you need to start doing. And then I think you're going to have new thoughts and new feelings. Thank you for the call. Uh, listen, a lot of people out there like that. Listen, stop feeling and thinking. You've done enough of that. Start acting and watch everything else change. This is The Ken Coleman Show. Press on. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.